0: 英語 MP3 音声ダウンロード。88thpp.com 88thpp.com A Dog of Flanders. Nello and Patrisky were left all alone in the world. They were friends in a friendship closer than brotherhood. Nello was a little Ardennes. Patrisky was a big Fleming. They were both of the same age by length of years, yet one was still young, and the other was already old. They had dwelt together almost all their days, both were orphaned and destitute, and owed their lives to the same hand. It had been the beginning of the tie between them, their first bond of sympathy, and it had strengthened day by day, and had grown with their growth, firm and indissoluble, until they loved one another very greatly. Their home was a little hut on the edge of a little village, a Flemish village a league from Antwerp, set amidst flat breadths of pasture and corn lands, with long lines of poplars and of alders bending in the breeze on the edge of the great canal which ran through it. It had about a score of houses and homesteads, with shutters of bright green or sky blue, and roofs rose red or black and white, and walls whitewashed until they shone in the sun like snow. In the center of the village stood a windmill, placed on a little moss grown slope, it was a landmark to all the level country round. It had once been painted scarlet, sails and all, but that had been in its infancy, half a century or more earlier when it had ground wheat for the soldiers of Napoleon, and it was now a ruddy brown, tanned by wind and weather. It went queerly by fits and starts, as though rheumatic and stiff in the joints from age, but it served the whole neighbourhood, which would have thought it almost as impious to carry grain elsewhere as to attend any other religious service than the mass that was performed at the altar of the little old grey church, with its conical steeple, which stood opposite to it, and whose single bell rang morning, noon, and night with that strange, subdued, hollow sadness which every bell that hangs in the low country seems to gain as an integral part of its melody. Within sound of the little melancholy clock almost from their birth upward, they had dwelt together, Nello and Patrisky, in the little hut on the edge of the village, with the cathedral spire of Antwerp rising in the northeast, beyond the great green plain of seeding grass and spreading corn that stretched away from them like a tideless, changeless sea. It was the hut of a very old man, of a very poor man, of old Jehan Das, who in his time had been a soldier, and who remembered the wars that had trampled the country as oxen tread down the furrows, and who had brought from his service nothing except a wound, which had made him a cripple. When old Jehon had reached his full eighty, his daughter had died in the Ardennes, hard by Stavelot, and had left him in legacy her two-year-old son. The old man could ill contrive to support himself, but he took up the additional burden uncomplainingly, and it soon became welcome and precious to him. Little Nello, which was but a pet diminutive for Nicholas, Throve with him, and the old man and the little child lived in the poor little hut contentedly. It was a very humble little mud hut indeed, but it was clean and white as a seashell and stood in a small plot of garden ground that yielded beans and herbs and pumpkins. They were very poor, terribly poor, many a day they had nothing at all to eat. They never by any chance had enough, to have had enough to eat would have been to have reached paradise at once. But the old man was very gentle and good to the boy, and the boy was a beautiful, innocent, truthful, tender hearted creature and they were happy on a crust and a few leaves of cabbage, and asked no more of earth or heaven, save indeed that Patrusky should be always with them, since without Patrusky, where would they have been? For Patrusky was their Alpha and Omega, their treasury and granary, their store of gold and want of wealth, their breadwinner and minister, their only friend and comforter. Patrusky dead or gone from them, they must have laid themselves down and died likewise. Patrusky was body, brains, hands, head, and feet to both of them, Patrusky was their very life, their very soul. For Jihan was old and a cripple, and Nella was but a child, and Patrisky was their dog. A dog of Flanders, yellow of hide, large of head and limb, with wolf-like ears that stood erect, and legs bowed and feet widened in the muscular development wrought in his breed by many generations of hard service. Patrisky came of a race which had toiled hard and cruelly from sire to son in Flanders many a century, slaves of slaves, dogs of the people, beasts of the shafts and the harness, creatures that lived straining their sinews in the gull of the cart, and died breaking their hearts on the flints of the streets. Patrisky had been born of parents who had laboured hard all their days over the sharp-set stones of the various cities and the long, shadowless, weary roads of the two Flanders and of Brabant. He had been born to no other heritage than those of pain and of toil. He had been fed on curses and baptized with blows. Why not? It was a Christian country, and Patrisky was but a dog. Before he was fully grown he had known the bitter gall of the cart and the collar. Before he had entered his thirteenth month he had become the property of a hardware dealer, who was accustomed to wander over the land north and south, from the Blue Sea to the Green Mountains. They sold him for a small price, because he was so young. This man was a drunkard and a brute. The life of Patrisky was a life of hell. To deal the tortures of hell on the animal creation is a way which the Christians have of showing their belief in it. His purchaser was a sullen, ill-living, brutal Brabant was, who heaped his cart full with pots and pans and flagons and buckets, and other wares of crockery and brass and tin, and left Patrisky to draw the load as best he might, whilst he himself lounged idly by the side in fat and sluggish ease, smoking his black pipe and stopping in every wine-shop or café on the road. Happily for Patrisky, or unhappily, he was very strong, he came of an iron race, long born and bred to such cruel travail, so that he did not die, but managed to drag on a wretched existence under the brutal burdens, the scarifying lashes, the hunger, the thirst, the blows, the curses, and the exhaustion which are the only wages with which the Flemings repay the most patient and laborious of all their four-footed victims. One day, after two years of this long and deadly agony, Patrisky was going on as usual along one of the straight, dusty, unlovely roads that lead to the city of Rubens. It was full midsummer, and very warm. His cart was very heavy, piled high with goods in metal and in earthenware his owner sauntered on without noticing him otherwise than by the crack of the whip as it curled round his quivering loins. The Brabant was had paused to drink beer himself at every wayside house, but he had forbidden Patrisky to stop a moment for a draft from the canal. Going along thus, in the full sun, on a scorching highway, having eaten nothing for twenty-four hours, and, which was far worse to him, not having tasted water for near twelve, being blind with dust, sore with blows, and stupefied with the merciless weight which dragged upon his loins, Patrisky staggered and foamed a little at the mouth, and fell. He fell in the middle of the white, dusty road, in the full glare of the sun, he was sick unto death, and motionless. His master gave him the only medicine in his pharmacy, kicks and oaths and blows with a cudgel of oak, which had been often the only food and drink, the only wage and reward, ever offered to him. But Patrisky was beyond the reach of any torture or of any curses. Patrisky lay, dead to all appearances, down in the white powder of the summer dust. After a while, finding it useless to assail his ribs with punishment and his ears with maledictions, the Brabant was, deeming life gone in him, or going so nearly that his carcass was forever useless, unless indeed some one should strip it of the skin for gloves, cursed him fiercely in farewell, struck off the leathern bands of the harness, kicked his body aside into the grass, and, groaning and muttering in savage wrath, pushed the cart lazily along the road uphill, and left the dying dog for the ants to sting and for the crows to pick. It was the last day before Kermesso away at Levon, and the Brabant was in haste to reach the fair and get a good place for his truck of brass wares. He was in fierce wrath, because Patrisky had been a strong and much enduring animal, and because he himself had now the hard task of pushing his charrette all the way to Levon. But to stay to look after Patrisky never entered his thoughts the beast was dying and useless, and he would steal, to replace him, the first large dog that he found wandering alone out of sight of its master. Patrisky had cost him nothing, or next to nothing and for two long, cruel years had made him toil ceaselessly in his service from sunrise to sunset, through summer and winter, and fair wither and foul. He had got a fair use and a good profit out of Patrisky, being human, he was wise, and left the dog to draw his last breath alone in the ditch, and have his bloodshot eyes plucked out as they might be by the birds, whilst he himself went on his way to beg and to steal, to eat and to drink, to dance and to sing, in the mirth at Louvain. A dying dog, A dog of the cart, why should he waste hours over its agonies at peril of losing a handful of copper coins, at peril of a shout of laughter? Patrisky lay there, flung in the grass green ditch. It was a busy road that day, and hundreds of people, on foot and on mules, in wagons or in carts, went by, tramping quickly and joyously on to Louvain. Some saw him, most did not even look, all passed on. A dead dog, more or less, it was nothing in Brabant, it would be nothing anywhere in the world. After a time, Among the holidaymakers, there came a little old man who was bent and lame, and very feeble. He was in no guise for feasting, he was very poorly and miserably clad, and he dragged his silent way slowly through the dust among the pleasure-seekers. He looked at Patrisky, paused, wondered, turned aside, then kneeled down in the rank grass and weeds of the ditch, and surveyed the dog with kindly eyes of pity. There was with him a little rosy, fair-haired, dark-eyed child of a few years old, who pattered in amidst the bushes— for him breast high, and stood gazing with a pretty seriousness upon the poor, great, quiet beast. Thus it was that these two first met, the little Nello and the big Patrisky. The upshot of that day was, that old Jihan Das, with much laborious effort, drew the sufferer homeward to his own little hut, which was a stone's throw off amidst the fields, and there tended him with so much care that the sickness, which had been a brain seizure brought on by heat and thirst and exhaustion, with time and shade and rest passed away, and health and strength returned, and Patrisky staggered up again upon his forced out, tawny legs. Now for many weeks he had been useless, powerless, sore, near to death, but all this time he had heard no rough word, had felt no harsh touch, but only the pitying murmurs of the child's voice and the soothing caress of the old man's hand. In his sickness they too had grown to care for him, this lonely man and the little happy child. He had a corner of the hut, with a heap of dry grass for his bed, and they had learned to listen eagerly for his breathing in the dark night, to tell them that he lived and when he first was well enough to essay a loud, hollow, broken bay, they laughed aloud, and almost wept together for joy at such a sign of his sure restoration, and little Nello, in delighted glee, hung round his rugged neck with chains of marguerites and kissed him with fresh and ruddy lips. So then, when Patraski arose, himself again, strong, big, gaunt, powerful, his great wistful eyes had a gentle astonishment in them that there were no curses to rouse him and no blows to drive him, and his heart awakened to a mighty love which never wavered once in its fidelity whilst life abode with him. But Patrisky, being a dog, was grateful. Patrisky lay pondering long with grave, tender, musing brown eyes, watching the movements of his friends. Now, the old soldier, Chihandos could do nothing for his living but limp about a little with a small cart, with which he carried daily the milk cans of those happier neighbours who owned cattle away into the town of Antwerp. The villagers gave him the employment a little out of charity, more because it suited them well to send their milk into the town by so honest a carrier, and bide at home themselves to look after their gardens, their cows, their poultry, or their little fields. But it was becoming hard work for the old man. He was eighty-three, and Antwerp was a good league off, or more. Patrisky watched the milk cans come and go that one day when he had got well and was lying in the sun with a wreath of marguerites round his tawny neck. The next morning, Patrisky, before the old man had touched the cart, Arose and walked to it and placed himself betwixt its handles, and testified as plainly as dumb show could do his desire and his ability to work in return for the bread of charity that he had eaten. Jihandas resisted long, for the old man was one of those who thought it a foul shame to bind dogs to labor for which nature never formed them. But Patrisky would not be gainsaid, finding they did not harness him, he tried to draw the cart onward with his teeth. At length Jihandas gave way, vanquished by the persistence and the gratitude of this creature whom he had succored. He fashioned his cart so that Patrisky could run in it, and this he did every morning of his life thenceforward. When the winter came, Jihan Das thanked the blessed fortune that had brought him to the dying dog in the ditch that fair day of Luvan, for he was very old, and he grew feebler with each year, and he would ill have known how to pull his load of milk cans over the snows and through the deep ruts in the mud if it had not been for the strength and the industry of the animal he had befriended. As for Patrisky, it seemed heaven to him. After the frightful burdens that his old master had compelled him to strain under, at the call of the whip at every step, it seemed nothing to him but amusement to step out with this little light green cart, with its bright brass cans, by the side of the gentle old man who always paid him with a tender caress and with a kindly word. Besides, his work was over by three or four in the day, and after that time he was free to do as he would, to stretch himself, to sleep in the sun, to wander in the fields, to romp with the young child, or to play with his fellow dogs. Patrisky was very happy. Fortunately for his peace, his former owner was killed in a drunken brawl at the Kermessa of Mechlin, and so sought not after him nor disturbed him in his new and well-loved home. A few years later, old Jihan Das, who had always been a cripple, became so paralysed with rheumatism that it was impossible for him to go out with the cart any more. Then little Nello, being now grown to his sixth year of age, and knowing the town well from having accompanied his grandfather so many times, took his place beside the cart, and sold the milk and received the coins in exchange, and brought them back to their respective owners with a pretty grace and seriousness which charmed all who beheld him. The little Ardennes was a beautiful child, with dark, grave, tender eyes, and a lovely bloom upon his face, and fair locks that clustered to his throat, and many an artist sketched the group as it went by him, the green cart with the brass flagons of Tenier and Mirus and Van Tal, and the great tawny-coloured, massive dog, with his belt harness that chimed cheerily as he went, and the small figure that ran beside him which had little white feet and great wooden shoes, and a soft, brave, innocent, happy face like the little fair children of Rubens. Nello and Patrisky did the work so well and so joyfully together that Jihan Das himself, when the summer came and he was better again, had no need to stir out, but could sit in the doorway in the sun and see them go forth through the garden wicket, and then doze and dream and pray a little, and then awake again as the clock told three and watch for their return. And on their return, Patrisky would shake himself free of his harness with a bay of glee, and Nello would recount with pride the doings of the day. And they would all go in together to their meal of rye bread and milk or soup, and would see the shadows lengthen over the great plain, and see the twilight veil the fair cathedral spire, and then lie down together to sleep peacefully while the old man said a prayer. So the days and the years went on, and the lives of Nello and Patrisky were happy, innocent, and healthful. In the spring and summer, especially, were they glad. Flanders is not a lovely land and around the Burg of Rubens it is perhaps least lovely of all. Corn and calza, pasture and plough, succeed each other on the characterless plain and wearying repetition, and saved by some gaunt grey tower, with its peal of pathetic bells, or some figure coming athwart the fields, made picturesque by a gleaner's bundle or a woodman's faggot, there is no change, no variety, no beauty anywhere, and he who has dwelt upon the mountains or amidst the forests feels oppressed as by imprisonment with the tedium and the endlessness of that vast and dreary level but it is green and very fertile, and it has wide horizons that have a certain charm of their own even in their dullness and monotony, and among the rushes by the waterside the flowers grow, and the trees rise tall and fresh where the barges glide with their great hulks black against the sun, and their little green barrels and vari-coloured flags gay against the leaves. Anyway, there is greenery and breadth of space enough to be as good as beauty to a child and a dog, and these two asked no better, when their work was done, than to lie buried in the lush grasses on the side of the canal." and watch the cumbrous vessels drifting by and bring the crisp salt smell of the sea among the blossoming scents of the country summer. True, in the winter it was harder, and they had to rise in the darkness and the bitter cold, and they had seldom as much as they could have eaten any day, and the hut was scarce better than a shed when the nights were cold, although it looked so pretty in warm weather, buried in a great kindly clambering vine, that never bore fruit, indeed, but which covered it with luxuriant green tracery all through the months of blossom and harvest. In winter the winds found many holes in the walls of the poor little hut, and the vine was black and leafless, and the bare lands looked very bleak and drear without, and sometimes within the floor was flooded and then frozen. In winter it was hard, and the snow numbed the little white limbs of Nello, and the icicles cut the brave, untiring feet of Patrisky. But even then they were never heard to lament, either of them. The child's wooden shoes and the dog's four legs would trot manfully together over the frozen fields to the chime of the bells on the harness, and then sometimes, in the streets of Antwerp, some housewife would bring them a bowl of soup and a handful of bread, or some kindly trader would throw some billets of fuel into the little cart as it went homeward, or some woman in their own village would bid them keep a share of the milk they carried for their own food, and they would run over the white lands, through the early darkness, bright and happy, and burst with a shout of joy into their home. So, on the whole, it was well with them, very well, and Patrisky, meeting on the highway or in the public streets the many dogs who toiled from daybreak into nightfall, paid only with blows and curses, and loosened from the shafts with a kick to starve and freeze as best they might, Patrisky in his heart was very grateful to his fate, and thought it the fairest and the kindliest the world could hold. Though he was often very hungry indeed when he lay down at night, though he had to work in the heats of summer noons and the rasping chills of winter dawns, though his feet were often tender with wounds from the sharp edges of the jagged pavement though he had to perform tasks beyond his strength and against his nature, yet he was grateful and content, he did his duty with each day, and the eyes that he loved smiled down on him. It was sufficient for Patrisky. There was only one thing which caused Patrisky any uneasiness in his life, and it was this. Antwerp, as all the world knows, is full at every turn of old piles of stones, dark and ancient and majestic, standing in crooked courts, jammed against gateways and taverns, rising by the water's edge, with bells ringing above them in the air, and ever and again out of their arched doors a swell of music pealing. There they remain, the grand old sanctuaries of the past, shut in amidst the squalor, the hurry, the crowds, the unloveliness and the commerce of the modern world, and all day long the clouds drift and the birds circle and the winds sigh around them, and beneath the earth at their feet there sleeps, Rubens. And the greatness of the mighty master still rests upon Antwerp, and wherever we turn in its narrow streets his glory lies therein, so that all mean things are thereby transfigured and as we pace slowly through the winding ways, and by the edge of the stagnant water, and through the noisome courts, his spirit abides with us, and the heroic beauty of his visions is about us, and the stones that once felt his footsteps and bore his shadow seem to arise and speak of him with living voices. For the city which is the tomb of Reuben still lives to us through him, and him alone. It is so quiet there by that great white sepulchre, so quiet, save only when the organ peals and the choir cries aloud the Sav Regina or the Kyrie Elison. Sure, no artist ever had a greater gravestone than that pure marble sanctuary gives to him in the heart of his birthplace in the chancel of St Jacques, without Rubens, what were Antwerp, a dirty, dusky, bustling mart which no man would ever care to look upon save the traders who do business on its wharves with Rubens to the whole world of men it is a sacred name, a sacred soil, a Bethlehem where a god of art saw light, a Golgotha where a god of art lies dead. O nations. Closely should you treasure your great men, for by them alone will the future know of you. Flanders, in her generations, has been wise. In his life, she glorified this greatest of her sons, and in his death, she magnifies his name. But her wisdom is very rare. Now, the trouble of Patrisky was this. Into these great, sad piles of stones, that reared their melancholy majesty above the crowded roofs, the child Nella would many and many a time enter and disappear through their dark arched portals, whilst Patrisky, left without upon the pavement, would wearily and vainly ponder on what could be the charm which thus allured from him his inseparable and beloved companion. Once or twice he did essay to see for himself, clattering up the steps with his milk-cart behind him, but thereon he had been always sent back again summarily by a tall custodian in black clothes and silver chains of office, and fearful of bringing his little master into trouble, he desisted, and remained couched patiently before the churches until such time as the boy reappeared. It was not the fact of his going into them which disturbed Patrisky he knew that people went to church, all the village went to the small, tumble-down, grey pile opposite the red windmill. What troubled him was that little Nello always looked strangely when he came out, always very flushed or very pale, and whenever he returned home after such visitations would sit silent and dreaming, not caring to play, but gazing out at the evening skies beyond the line of the canal, very subdued and almost sad. What was it? wondered Patrisky. He thought it could not be good or natural for the little lad to be so grave, and in his dumb fashion he tried all he could to keep Nello by him in the sunny fields or in the busy marketplace. But to the churches Nello would go, most often of all would he go to the great cathedral, and Patrisky, left without on the stones by the iron fragments of Quentin Matsus's gate, would stretch himself and yawn and sigh, and even howl now and then, all in vain, until the doors closed and the child perforce came forth again, and winding his arms about the dog's neck would kiss him on his broad, tawny-coloured forehead, and murmur always the same words, if I could only see them Patrisky. If I could only see them. What were they? pondered Patrisky, looking up with large, wistful, sympathetic eyes. One day, when the custodian was out of the way and the doors left ajar, he got in for a moment after his little friend and saw. They were two great covered pictures on either side of the choir. Nello was kneeling, wrapped as in an ecstasy, before the altar picture of the Assumption, and when he noticed Patrisky, and rose and drew the dog gently out into the air, his face was wet with tears, and he looked up at the veiled places as he passed them, and murmured to his companion, It is so terrible not to see them, Patrisky, just because one is poor and cannot pay. He never meant that the poor should not see them when he painted them, I am sure. He would have had to see them any day, every day, That I am sure. And they keep them shrouded there, shrouded in the dark, the beautiful things, and they never feel the light and no eyes look on them, unless rich people come and pay. If I could only see them, I would be content to die. But he could not see them, and Patrisky could not help him, for to gain the silver piece that the church exacts as the price for looking on the glories of the elevation of the cross and the descent of the cross was a thing as utterly beyond the powers of either of them as it would have been to scale the heights of the cathedral spire. They had never so much as a suit to spare, if they cleared enough to get a little wood for the stove, a little broth for the pot, it was the utmost they could do and yet the heart of the child was set in sore and endless longing upon beholding the greatness of the two veiled Rubens. The whole soul of the little Ardennes thrilled and stirred with an absorbing passion for art. Going on his ways through the old city in the early days before the sun or the people had risen, Nello, who looked only a little peasant boy, with a great dog drawing milk to sell from door to door, was in a heaven of dreams whereof Rubens was the god. Nello, cold and hungry with stockingless feet in wooden shoes, and the winter winds blowing among his curls and lifting his poor thin garments, was in a rapture of meditation, wherein all that he saw was the beautiful fair face of the Mary of the Assumption, with the waves of her golden hair lying upon her shoulders, and the light of an eternal sun shining down upon her brow. Nello, reared in poverty, and buffeted by fortune, and untaught in letters, and unheeded by men, had the compensation or the curse which is called genius. No one knew it. He as little as any, no one knew it. Only indeed Patrisky, who, being with him always, saw him draw with chalk upon the stones any and everything that grew or breathed, heard him on his little bed of hay murmur all manner of timid, pathetic prayers to the spirit of the great master, watched his gaze darken and his face radiate at the evening glow of sunset or the rosy rising of the dawn, and felt many and many a time the tears of a strange, nameless pain and joy, mingled together, fall hotly from the bright young eyes upon his own wrinkled yellow forehead. I should go to my grave quite content if I thought, Nello, that when thou growest a man thou couldst own this hut and a little plot of ground, and labour for thyself, and be called Boz by thy neighbours, said the old man Jehan many an hour from his bed. For to own a bit of soil, and to be called Boz, master, by the hamlet round, is to have achieved the highest ideal of a Flemish peasant, and the old soldier, who had wandered over all the earth in his youth, and had brought nothing back, Deemed in his old age that to live and die on one spot in contented humility was the fairest fate he could desire for his darling. But Nella said nothing. The same leaven was working in him that in other times begat Rubens and your dance on the Van Eycks, and all their wondrous tribe, and in times more recent begat in the green country of the Ardennes, where the Muse washes the old walls of Dijon, the great artist of the Patroclus, whose genius is too near us for us a right to measure its divinity. Nello dreamed of other things in the future than of tilling the little root of earth, and living under the wattle roof, and being called Boz by neighbours a little poorer or a little less poor than himself. The cathedral spire, where it rose beyond the fields in the ruddy evening skies or in the dim, grey, misty mornings, said other things to him than this. But these he told only to Patrisky, whispering, childlike, his fancies in the dog's ear when they went together at their work through the fogs of the daybreak, or lay together at their rest among the rustling rushes by the water's side for such dreams are not easily shaped into speech to awake the slow sympathies of human auditors, and they would only have sorely perplexed and troubled the poor old man bedridden in his corner, who, for his part, whenever he had trodden the streets of Antwerp, had thought the daub of blue and red that they called a Madonna, on the walls of the wine-shop where he drank his sous-worth of black beer, quite as good as any of the famous altarpieces for which the stranger folk travelled far and wide into Flanders from every land on which the good sun shone there was only one other beside Patrowski to whom Nello could talk at all of his daring fantasies. This other was Little Alois, who lived at the old Red Mill on the grassy mound, and whose father, the miller, was the best-to-do husbandman in all the village. Little Alois was only a pretty baby with soft round, rosy features, made lovely by those sweet dark eyes that the Spanish rule has left in so many a Flemish face, in testimony of the Alvin dominion, as Spanish art has left broad-sown throughout the country majestic palaces and stately courts, gilded house-fronts and sculptured lintels, histories in blazonry and poems in stone. Little Alois was often with Nello and Patruski. They played in the fields, they ran in the snow, they gathered the daisies and bilberries, they went up to the old grey church together, and they often sat together by the broad wood-fire in the mill-house. Little Alois, indeed, was the richest child in the hamlet. She had neither brother nor sister, her blue serge dress had never a hole in it. At Kermessa she had as many gilded nuts and agni-day and sugar as her hands could hold, and when she went up for her first communion her flaxen curls were covered with a cap of richest mechlin lace, which had been her mother's and her grandmother's before it came to her. Men spoke already, though she had but twelve years, of the good wife she would be for their sons to woo and win, but she herself was a little gay, simple child, in no wise conscious of her heritage, and she loved no playfellows so well as Jihan Das's grandson and his dog. One day her father, Boz Coges, a good man, but somewhat stern, came on a pretty group in the long meadow behind the mill, where the aftermath had that day been cut. It was his little daughter sitting amidst the hay, with the great tawny head of Patrisky on her lap, and many wreaths of poppies and blue cornflowers round them both, on a clean smooth slab of pine with the boy Nello drew their likeness with a stick of charcoal. The miller stood and looked at the portrait with tears in his eyes, it was so strangely like, and he loved his only child closely and well. Then he roughly chid the little girl for idling there whilst her mother needed her within, and sent her indoors crying and afraid, then, turning, he snatched the wood from Nello's hands. Dost do much of such folly? he asked, but there was a tremble in his voice. Nello coloured and hung his head. I draw everything I see, he murmured. The miller was silent, then he stretched his hand out with a frank in it. It is folly, as I say, an evil waste of time, nevertheless, it is like a and will please the housemother take this silver bit for it and leave it for me. The colour died out of the face of the young Ardennes, he lifted his head and put his hands behind his back. Keep your money and the portrait both, Boz Koges, he said, simply. You have been often good to me. Then he called Patrisky to him, and walked away across the field. I could have seen them with that frank, he murmured to Patrisky, but I could not sell her picture, not even for them. Boz went into his mill house, sore troubled in his mind. That lad must not be so much with Alois, he said to his wife that night. Trouble may come of it hereafter, he is fifteen now, and she is twelve, and the boy is comely of face and form. And he is a good lad and a loyal, said the housewife, feasting her eyes on the piece of pine wood where it was thrown above the chimney with a cuckoo clock in oak and a calvary in wax. Yea, I do not gainsay that, said the miller, draining his pewter flagon. Then, if what you think of were ever to come to pass, said the wife, hesitatingly, would it matter so much? She will have enough for both, and one cannot be better than happy. You are a woman, and therefore a fool, said the miller harshly, striking his pipe on the table. The lad is not but a beggar, and, with these painters' fancies, worse than a beggar. Have a care that they are not together in the future, or I will send the child to the surer keeping of the nuns of the sacred heart. The poor mother was terrified, and promised humbly to do his will. Not that she could bring herself altogether to separate the child from her favourite playmate nor did the miller even desire that extreme of cruelty to a young lad who was guilty of nothing except poverty. But there were many ways in which little Alois was kept away from her chosen companion, and Nello, being a boy proud and quiet and sensitive, was quickly wounded, and ceased to turn his own steps and those of Patrisky, as he had been used to do with every moment of leisure, to the old red mill upon the slope. What his offence was he did not know, he supposed he had in some manner angered Boz Coges by taking the portrait of Alois in the meadow, and when the child who loved him would run to him and nestle her hand in his, he would smile at her very sadly and say with a tender concern for her before himself, Nay, Alois, do not anger your father. He thinks that I make you idle, dear, and he is not pleased that you should be with me. He is a good man and loves you well, we will not anger him, Alois." But it was with a sad heart that he said it, and the earth did not look so bright to him as it had used to do when he went out at sunrise under the poplars down the straight roads with Patriski. The old red mill had been a landmark to him, and he had been used to pause by it, going and coming, for a cheery greeting with its people as her little flaxen head rose above the low mill wicket, and her little rosy hands had held out a bone or a crust to Patrisky. Now the dog looked wistfully at a closed door, and the boy went on without pausing, with a pang at his heart, and the child sat within with tears dropping slowly on the knitting to which she was set on her little stool by the stove, and Boz working among his sacks and his mill gear, would harden his will and say to himself, It is best so the lad is all but a beggar, and full of idle, dreaming fooleries. Who knows what mischief might not come of it in the future? So he was wise in his generation, and would not have the door unbarred, except upon rare and formal occasion, which seemed to have neither warmth nor mirth in them to the two children, who had been accustomed so long to a daily gleeful, careless, happy interchange of greeting, speech, and pastime, with no other watcher of their sports or auditor of their fancies than Patrisky sagely shaking the brazen bells of his collar and responding with all a dog's swift sympathies to their every change of mood. All this while the little panel of pine wood remained over the chimney in the mill kitchen with the cuckoo clock and the waxen calvary, and sometimes it seemed to nello a little hard that whilst his gift was accepted he himself should be denied. But he did not complain, it was his habit to be quiet, old Jehan Das had said ever to him, we are poor, we must take what God sends, the ill with the good, the poor cannot choose. To which the boy had always listened in silence, being reverent of his old grandfather, but nevertheless a certain vague, sweet hope, such as beguiles the children of genius, had whispered in his heart, yet the poor do choose sometimes, choose to be great, so that men cannot say them nay. And he thought so still in his innocence, and one day, when the little Alois, finding him by chance alone among the cornfields by the canal, ran to him and held him close, and sobbed piteously because the morrow would be her saint's day and for the first time in all her life her parents had failed to bid him to the little supper and romp in the great barns with which her feast day was always celebrated, Nello had kissed her and murmured to her in firm faith, It shall be different one day, Alois. One day that little bit of pine with it your father has of mine shall be worth its weight in silver, and he will not shut the door against me then. Only love me always, dear little Alois, only love me always, and I will be great. And if I do not love you? the pretty child asked, pouting a little through her tears, and moved by the instinctive coquetries of her sex. Nella's eyes left her face and wandered to the distance, where in the red and gold of the Flemish night the cathedral spire rose. There was a smile on his face so sweet and yet so sad that little Aloys was awed by it. I will be great still, he said under his breath, great still, or die, Aloys. You do not love me, said the little spoiled child, pushing him away, but the boy shook his head and smiled, and went on his way through the tall yellow corn, seeing his in a vision some day in a fair future when he should come into that old familiar land and ask Alois of her people, and be not refused or denied, but received in honour, whilst the village folk should throng to look upon him and say in one another's ears, Dost see him? He is a king among men, for he is a great artist and the world speaks his name, and yet he was only our poor little Nello, who was a beggar as one may say, and only got his bread by the help of his dog and he thought how he would fold his grandsire in furs and purples, and portray him as the old man is portrayed in the family in the chapel of St. Jacques, and of how he would hang the throat of Patrisky with a collar of gold, and place him on his right hand, and say to the people, this was once my only friend, and of how he would build himself a great white marble palace, and make to himself luxuriant gardens of pleasure, on the slope looking outward to where the cathedral spire rose, and not dwell in it himself, but summon to it, as to a home, all men young and poor and friendless, of the will to do mighty things, and of how he would say to them always, if they sought to bless his name, nay, do not thank me, thank Rubens. Without him, what should I have been? And these dreams, beautiful, impossible, innocent, free of all selfishness, full of heroical worship, were so closely about him as he went that he was happy, happy even on this sad anniversary of Aloysius' Saints' Day, when he and Patrisky went home by themselves to the little dark hut and the meal of black bread, whilst in the mill-house all the children of the village sang and laughed, and ate the big round cakes of Dijon and the almond gingerbread of Brabant, and danced in the great barn to the light of the stars and the music of flute and fiddle. Never mind, Patrisky, he said, with his arms round the dog's neck as they both sat in the door of the hut, where the sounds of the mirth at the mill came down to them on the night air, never mind. It shall all be changed by and by. 英語聞き流しリスニング、英語テキストとMP3音声ダウンロードは、ホームページからご利用いただけます。。88thpp.com 88thpp.com, 88thpp.com。